0: Hey, podcast listeners, Mackenzie here. I wanted to personally thank you for listening and being a part of our community. We couldn't do this show without you. As we shape the next series of the Living Centered Podcast, I wanted to invite you specifically to help us out. We want to hear from you. We're currently in the process of curating a series all around exploring the relationships that make up our lives. Together with various experts, clinicians, and on-site alum, we'll explore the nuances, intricacies, and impact of the relationships within which we all exist. From families of origin to friendships, dating, working relationships, and beyond. We hope to host conversations with guests who bring a definitive and unique perspective. This is where you come in. We want to know your pressing relationship questions. You can submit your questions to podcast at experienceonsite.com And you might just hear an answer on our next series. If you are in
1: a chapter of your life that is extremely difficult, keep moving forward. Keep going. You can do it. It is not the end of your story.
2: I think mine would be honor your feelings. Just honor your feelings. It's not about trying to hide and suppress and push through. This is not the time to push through. It's just honoring what feels real to you and getting in tune with that.
3: Mine would be I really do believe people are doing, you're doing, you're doing better than you think you are.
4: You are not a problem to be solved, but you are a human, person to be engaged. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast. Where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox.
2: And I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles.
0: Hey there. Did you know that May is Mental Health Awareness Month? At OnSite, we believe that mental health should be a part of our everyday. We often say that caring for your emotional and mental health is not what's wrong with you, it's what's right with you. For today's episode, answering questions submitted from our listeners, Miles sits down with three of our on-site therapists to host a panel and talk about some of the things that can feel intimidating, othering, or even stigmatizing when it comes to our emotional and mental health. Allow me to introduce our panelist. With years of experience and a PhD in marriage and family therapy, Austin Hotelling's clinical experience includes inpatient and outpatient drug and alcohol treatment with individuals, couples, and families, as well as in-home family therapy with at-risk children and adolescents. During the panel, Austin shares one of the most practical tips I've ever heard to help you find a therapist in your area. As an experienced administrator, certified equine, wilderness, and adventure therapist, Megan Repass is an expert of the therapeutic modalities that incorporate nature, equine, and the outdoors. During the panel, Megan shares why she's so passionate about these modalities that get us out of our heads and into our bodies. Veronica Scruggs is an expert clinician when it comes to helping others connect with themselves, their purpose, and their identity through the work that she does week in and week out for on-site's workshops and intensives. During the panel, Veronica has some practical advice about interrupting the narratives that keep us trapped in unhealthy cycles and keep us from embracing the truth of who we are. We can't wait for you to meet our incredible clinicians.
4: So today on the uh, Living Centered podcast, we get to do something pretty special, uh, which is have a conversation with some of the home team here at OnSite, some of our amazing clinical team. Many of you have submitted questions, and I'm going to try to cover uh, as many of those as I can. and. We want to make this just a free flow conversation, so we may uh, not get to all of them. But the good news is we're going to be doing more of this. Uh, So you'll get to hear more from these people just making an introduction today, trying to hit a few of your questions. And we thank you all for joining us. So uh, let's do intros uh, first. Why don't we start with Megan Repass down in the corner? Tell us a little bit about who you are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So my name is Megan Repass, and I'm a trauma therapist. I've been on-site for about four years now, and I am grateful to be able to use different office settings like nature, the wilderness, and partnering with horses to help people in their healing process. It's, a, it's an awesome job.
4: All right. Let's go to Veronica.
2: Um, my name is Veronica Scruggs, and I'm a licensed professional counselor. Um, I'm a clinical group specialist at OnSite, and I'm the new kid on the block. So this is my first like, podcast. I'm looking forward to it.
4: Great. Thanks, Veronica. And Austin. Yeah, I was just, uh, when Megan said she'd
3: been here for four years, I think she got here a couple of weeks or maybe a month before I did. So uh, I'm coming up on four years myself. And uh, my background's in marriage and family therapy. That's what I did my doctoral work in and licensed in that way, and, and get a chance to work with Veronica. And our clinical team on the workshop intensive side of, of what we do at on-site, so it's there's always something going on, and, and I love it.
4: Great. Well, those were uh, humble intros uh, from this group. If they all do such amazing things that are highly specialized, as is everybody that we get an opportunity to work with at on-site, but let's jump right in and get to some of the questions that were asked here. Uh, here's one that I will put out to the group. It says talk therapy does it seem to be working for me. What are some different types of therapy that I could try?
1: I mean, I'm going to jump in. And first and foremost, that comes to my mind is equine therapy. If sitting in an office and talking isn't working, getting outside and learning how to partner and connect with a being that's greater than yourself like a horse. It it has some pretty powerful magic behind it. So. I'm going to offer that suggestion.
4: I'm surprised, Megan, very surprised that you brought that in. That's one of Megan's passions. She she's our equine program here. She's pretty renowned as an equine therapist. Uh, where can people do that? Obviously, we offer some uh, intensive programming here at OnSite. Any of our workshops, you might get exposure to it. And, of course, we do some remote trips in uh, Colorado and, and Montana as well as Tennessee. But if somebody just wanted to try to uh, find out info about uh, equine therapy, where would you go Who offers it? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, um, honestly, there's quite a lot of equine therapists in every major city. You just got to find them and Google it. In Nashville, there are, gosh, 10 to 20 wonderful therapists who have their own private practice and their own barns that you can drive out and see them individually and and do work with them. So um, it's just doing some research and finding some and asking therapists that you may already know if they have any referrals. But There's a lot more out there than I think
4: people are aware of. Just a 30 second. um, How would you describe equine therapy? What is it?
1: Uh, It is learning how to communicate and connect with a horse in a way that helps you see how you show up in relationships because they will reflect and react to the energy that you present. And oftentimes you're not even aware of how you're showing up. Hmm.
4: No, that was good. Uh, and a lot of people, one of the myths about equine assisted therapy is people assume that you have to be a horse person or that you have to really like horses or animals to benefit from it and actually couldn't be further from the truth. A lot of times we introduce that as well as some other adventure and experiential based therapeutic modalities. People aren't familiar with them at all and end up really benefiting uh, from the uh, experience. So what else? Austin, Veronica, jump in.
3: A couple of things that I think thought of when you ask that question, Miles. one of them is um, there's some buzzwords that I know we're really passionate about at onsite. That would be, again, a good Google friend. You can look up experiential therapy or psychodrama are some of the modalities that we use a lot at onsite. It can be harder to find those, I think, in a private practice setting, um, but it would at least be a worthwhile Google search to just learn more about it see if it's something that speaks to you or not. Art therapy uh, is another one that I think a lot of people have found really effective. But I also, I just wanted to throw out there maybe a a really brief example in in my graduate training. I remember thinking that um, I didn't like emotionally focused therapy was a a method or a therapy, a theory of therapy we were learning about. And I thought I didn't like it. And we got a new professor that was teaching it same theory and it totally changed things for me. And I just went, oh my gosh, I didn't know that there was a way to do that same model so differently. Mm-hmm. And, and all of a sudden I was a big fan. And so I, I think some of it, uh, part of my reaction would be don't give up on talk therapy altogether is be willing to maybe try on uh, a different type or maybe a new person or, or something. I think a good therapist isn't going to be threatened by you having a conversation with them about is this working for me or not? You know, if they are threatened by that, that's probably a red flag anyway, but they, they should be helping you land where it is effective for you. So
4: Experiential, as we've been reflecting, it's one of the things we specialize in at OnSite. A lot of people assume that that's all we do, but it's actually not. We we use a lot of different modalities to support people in the change process. It just happens to be that we're known for experiential because we, we teach and train that and, and put a heavy emphasis on it. But that's kind of an umbrella of a lot of different action-oriented methods, many of which were just mentioned. And I, like Austin, most therapeutic encounters or experiences is going to involve some kind of talk. You know, all of it has process kind of wrapped around it. I think what you may be asking in that question, when you say talk therapy, could be referring to a field of study, cognitive behavioral therapy, well-researched. Um, probably more research than any, any modality and it's very effective. Uh, it's, the, it's, it's often what you see on TV when you depict therapy. It's person sitting in person and you talk back and forth. And What I would do is there are a lot of classically trained CBT therapists or therapists that just do talk therapy, but there are many that are cross-trained in other modalities. So when you're Googling, look at a therapist website, if they have one, and then see what their training is, and then don't be afraid to ask for what you need. Therapists often are great at referring to other therapists. Um, And so find a therapist. If you have a therapist and you don't feel like you're connecting, don't be afraid to speak up and say, are there other modalities that you're trained in that you could support me on? There's IFS, EMDR, brain spotting, on and on and on. There's a lot of different cool modalities. Uh, that, and if not, uh, could you refer me to someone? Great question. And Veronica, I think you you gave us a good bridge. So I'll let you pick up on where you left us there uh, with this question, which is, I'm new to town and don't know many people. What is the best way to find a good therapist? And how might I determine what I need?
2: Well, yeah, as somebody who's still working through this, because I just moved here uh, about seven months ago, I'm still kind of working through that myself. Um, I think for me, I can just speak from a personal perspective. The best way and the typical way I, I go about finding a therapist is either I'll word of mouth, kind of asking around if you know, you're relocating for a new job, just kind of reaching out to people at your job. Do you know of anybody um, who provides a service? And then I think for myself... Um, I love Psychology Today. I'm Not trying to plug them, but I love Psychology Today to be able to go on and look for different profiles. And that way, you can specify it to what um, area code that you're in, and then what your particular needs are. So if I'm wanting somebody who is well versed in, you know, like trauma or you know, sexual abuse or you know, anything of that nature, then I can go ahead and select what I want them to be more specified in and what they what they're used to working with. And then from there, I just kind of play what feels right and just kind of going through the profiles and reaching out that way.
3: Can I jump in on this one two miles? Yeah. I think that one thought, if you know, it's amazing how quickly you can network. If somebody's in a recovery circle Mm. and they move in and they are having a hard time finding a therapist, but they've found a 12 step group that they connect with, then um, it's pretty easy to find a, a therapist through avenues like that support groups. And I, to me, it's like finding a, a good mechanic or a dentist. It's going to take a little bit of hunting, and it, so I have a, a sneaky way that I come up with finding a therapist. If you truly don't have any connections and you're new somewhere, this is a, a good detective work approach. Uh, just take some phone calls. But if you call the therapist and ask them, just cold call somebody in your area and said, "What? Who would you refer your best friends or family to?" Um, ethically, they can't. Or shouldn't see their own family or friends. So if they give you a name, then you pick up the phone book and call, or you look up another phone number and ask the same question of two or three different people. Who would you refer your best friends or family to? You're just trying to get triangulate some data points, you know. So if you hear the same name three or four times, it's worth checking out. That's really, I guess, if you truly didn't have any personal connections in a new area, is one way you can get creative.
4: Well said. This is a great question here that I'm going to jump to because it's obviously pretty relevant. We've been seeing a lot of people that have had questions like this, and I've got this question myself. <laughs> uh, how do I reenter and reconnect after the pandemic? It's been really hard on me mentally.
3: And we're all in the same boat on that one. I, um, I think it's going to be the question of the next year, how we how we do this. I get the only thing. That my quick answer for myself would be um, not alone. It's just in relationship. I I know we're biased believers of that at onsite too, but we're just wired for connection. And I I think pandemics, if they had a personality, would love to isolate people. This one in particular, with all the emphasis on distancing and masks and stuff, and. There are avenues to reconnect, even random, just walking around the neighborhood and saying hello to people. I I think we're going to have to ease back into as comfortable and as safe, just handshakes, hugs and hellos, you know, (laughs) and pull in other people that we're not doing this by ourselves.
2: I agree. Um, I think for me, it's slowly but surely, too. So it's not alone, but it's also slowly but surely, just kind of easing yourself back into it. And I think one thing that the pandemic did for me, yes, there's a little bit of isolation, but I think also it allowed me to get creative with how I reach out or connect with people now and instead of, you know, just not face-to-face. Now we're making Zoom calls or we're having like girlfriend hours or whatever we're doing. So I think continuing to have that curiosity and be creative in how we connect and just taking it slow and taking it day by day. Mm-hmm.
4: Um, And I would, I would say, give, give yourself a lot of grace as you re-enter and find one person who you believe you could interact with and engage with that would have no judgment towards you. That's a great on-ramp and then invest time with them. I hope you've got somebody in that, in your life like that. And, And if you don't, you can be that person for yourself as you start to build those relationships, but just spend time in an unconditional space with another human, even if that human is yourself. All right. What do healthy friendships look like and how do I set boundaries with unhealthy people? I better bow out of this. One. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I struggle with this sometimes, but I've got thoughts on it, too. But let's start with um, Austin on this one. Oh, great. was <laughs> last on this one, too. Let's see. Tag, you're it oh man this is something
3: I've had to um, be more intentional about I I think I historically especially with with men just given where I've come from I've uh, been surrounded by women my whole life but I'm just I'm the only male in my family extended family it's just so making healthy relationships with male friends has been something that I've had to grow into I think Honestly, for me in my life stage, a lot of it's been phone calls and just finding somebody that's willing to return efforts of connection, that it's not one-sided. I, I, don't, I find that that's rare, you know, I, um, but I do have a few male friends that have been really good about just taking turns, somebody reaching out, even if it's voicemail tag. I've been surprised how meaningful a, a thoughtful voicemail lands. Uh, for me, if I'm not able to actually get them on the phone live, and um, we will exchange voicemails like that. But I still feel connected, supported, and seen and cared about, you know. So for me, it's been intentionally even putting on my calendar sometimes. I am going to reach out this week to one of my people. <laughs> Whether I like it or not, I'm going to make a connection. Um, but I don't have this figured out all the way, for sure.
4: Thanks.
1: Yeah, I think... <laughs> I had to, and I'm still learning this daily and practicing it, but I had to get to a place of where I was leaving unhealthy friendships so that I could make room to invest time in my healthy ones. And it's this gauge in me of when I leave, when I leave someone, whether it's just a a dinner date or coffee, and if I leave them and I feel depleted emotionally and I feel exhausted and I feel like they're sucking me dry, that's a pretty good indicator that it's not healthy for me. And so my healthy friendships, I know are on the right path when we're both growing together, when my values aren't being compromised. And when I am feeling built up, even when there's conflict, even when we have conflict between one another, uh, we both leave respecting each other more so and growing together.
4: Good stuff. The reason I said in the beginning, this was hard is because it's a, I've always understood the principle and the mechanics of boundaries. And yet, I am a recovering codependent. And so, I, there's an element of me that in stress, I really need to be valued and uh, liked, I should say. And I've gotten so much better at that. Usually, we talk about boundaries theoretically, but we don't, I should say, it's, it's very rare that we're in pursuit. Of setting them we just kind of like it in theory we want to do it but what action steps are we putting towards the pursuit of setting a boundary so we don't proceed with something or we don't pursue we don't pursue something effectively that we don't practice so i would encourage you to practice setting boundaries start small do a little inventory and give yourself a check when you set a boundary a boundary might be saying no to somebody um, a boundary might be being honest about when somebody says hey Can we get together uh, sometime? And instead of, if you know in your mind, that's probably not going to happen. Practice saying, well, I'd like to, but in this season, it probably won't be likely with the two of us. Boundary, but also honesty. Give yourself a check and keep a little list in a journal. And you'd be surprised that when you get a few checks, I think it gives us a little confidence to say, oh, I can do this. And then as the stakes get higher, the boundaries require more uh, and then you've got a little confidence in a roadmap to say, oh, yeah, I can do this. When it comes to uh, healthy friendships, I just think it's it's where uh, it's kind of like the same thing as uh, healthy ecosystems that we try to build in counseling environments that require psychological safety, which is just, you know, connection doesn't exist without trust. So I think you've got to have somebody you can trust. There's got to be some unconditional mutually beneficial element to the relationship. So I'm giving and taking equally, like Megan said, And then um, I like empathy in the mix. So those are good recipes in me for good friendships. Mm -hmm. Let's see. What are some tips for managing my anxiety and depression?
1: Something that we encourage our clients here at Milestones to remember is to not be afraid of a feeling, first and foremost. The more afraid I am of my anxiety... The more anxious I will be, it's kind of like the more afraid of fear I am, the more I live in fear. And so really just piecing out, this is a feeling. While it may feel to be true, it's not always a fact. They're different feelings versus facts. So a tool that I've used that can can really help me when I'm in a level of anxiety is literally stating the facts and looking at them, acknowledging my anxiety, accepting it. Not being afraid of it, getting curious about it, and in turn, the more that I, the more that I accept it and get curious and, and get to know it, it reduces its level of of power that I feel like it is inside of me, like it's overtaking. So, so feelings versus facts has really helped myself and and our clients here as well. I'm sure you guys have loads of other tools you can throw in.
2: My biggest one is awareness like having some awareness around it and questioning myself um, whenever I'm starting to, and then kind of understanding my pattern of when it does show up. Cause when I have more um, data to go off of, I can kind of do more to take care of myself. If I'm feeling like very anxious and I know that it's just a nervous reaction because I'm about to, on a podcast, then, you know, whether it's a grounding stone or doing something to kind of like tune in with myself, write that down and just question, okay, what's, where is this coming from? And kind of trying to understand the pattern of why I'm feeling this or what, what can I do to help myself cope in a healthy way in this moment? So just that awareness around it, that I am experiencing this, honoring that I'm experiencing it and just kind of working through it and not beating myself up because I'm having this anxious feeling or I'm feeling a little depressed. It's just kind of having that awareness around it to question it and then find what I need to work through it.
3: I think I like that a lot. I, I think for me, sometimes it requires, I'm late to my own party. Sometimes i I guess these are not fun parties, but um, I need the outside people to point out when I might be in a funk or not okay. Actually, not that long ago, I had a, a good trusted person at work kind of call me on something. And they just went. You know, your reaction to that was bigger than the actual trigger, <laughs> you know, or the whatever word you want to use. Your reaction was disproportionate to the the event, and it was a good. They were right. It was a good wake up call for me to go. Oh man, and just slow down and kind of look at myself. So that was my second response. Was I think everybody's anxiety and depression looks a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, when I'm anxious, I need to slow down. Nature helps me do that um this is a good one for me depression I need to speed up when I'm feeling depressed I need to speed up so it's interesting to listen to that question and think you know for me slow down or speed up there's some movement that needs to happen with me that's a helpful at least initial starting spot depression speeding up just meaning I can isolate and hunker down and be by myself pretty quickly when I'm feeling depressed so one of those two things usually helps me at least take the next step so I can reconnect with something that will help me on a bigger, bigger scale. Mm
4: -hmm. Good stuff. Uh, I don't think I'll be saying anything that wasn't said. I I usually would, I was just going to say own it, embrace it and share it. And I think all of that was already woven throughout what everyone shared. Own it, uh, meaning give yourself a tremendous amount of grace by just identifying this exists. It's here. Um, it's, it's mine, it, you know, it uh, may not deserve it, might not belong to me. It might be externally motivated, might be historically motivated, but it is here. And so I just want to own it. And then uh, embracing it, I think, is where um, we uh, begin to not pretend as if it doesn't exist. And I'll say one other thing about that at the end. And then the last part is is share it. I think if you can find another safe person to share it with, it's probably the best tip I've got on uh, working with anxiety and depression is not being alone in that narrative. <laughs> but I do want to say as it relates to anxiety and depression, that if it's if it's pretty high on the scale symptomatically, if your anxiety is significantly higher, depression is really high, then uh, I think the best tip would be to seek mental health support in, in, in a counselor and a therapist. Um, and there are, Uh, resources that you can call to do that. There are crisis support lines that you can call to do that. But when it comes to your day-to-day walk with it, you might even try changing. Let's say you've done some counseling and therapy and you're experiencing some symptoms being kicked up based on situational components like pandemic or whatever it might be. Then I would say, try to think about not using the word manage it. Instead of trying to manage it, maybe you try to collaborate with it so that uh, managing it assumes that you can control it and you're gonna either fail or pass that test. And you probably, if you're in anxiety and depression in your own subconscious, you may be failing anyway, which is not true, it's a false narrative. But try to say, okay, I'm not gonna try to eliminate you. You get a seat at the table, but I'm gonna try to not have your voice not be as loud. That helps.
0: Hey friends. Mackenzie here to tell you about Onsite's brand new emotional wellness class launching today. Right-sizing the wrongs, how to recognize, reconcile, and repair our trauma. Everyone faces adversity. No one gets through life without a few, or maybe more than a few, bumps and bruises. When we experience hardships, the world tells us to toughen up, move on, so we do. But the truth is, if we don't deal with our past, our past will deal with us one way or another. Here's the good news. Your past doesn't have to keep hijacking your present. What you experienced matters, but it doesn't have to take over your life. But that's our tendency, right? We either dismiss and minimize what happened to us or allow it to completely dictate how we see the world. This seven-part video series is a high-level reframe of the concept of trauma and its role in our lives. Carlos will lead you through exploring what our bodies naturally do to process the hard things that happen to us, the ways that it can play out in our everyday lives, and how we can acknowledge and validate it in a way that actually allows us to put trauma in its place and move forward. You are worth this exploration. You are worth the healing that will come on the other side of it. You deserve to right-size the wrongs of your life. That's why we created this class. You can sign up or join the waitlist for future classes at onsiteworkshops.com slash classes. Plus, if you use the code podcast, you'll get $20 off your $69 purchase.
4: This is a good one. What are good ways to challenge hurtful narratives I have about myself?
2: For me, I, I like to kind of go back. Right. To kind of where these narratives coming from, where did I kind of identifying where the narratives come from? So it's kind of taking a little bit of having some of that time to myself to kind of sit down and reflect a little bit on the past of what has been brought up, what's been leading to this messaging that I'm kind of like running with this right now. And so once I have that, I just try to find what's that kind of what's the truth, what's the fact, what's the impact that it's had on me and what's the truth. And how do I change that in order to reframe it? That's my truth right now in the moment, not for what it was. And it, you know, that tagline, it stayed with me all this time. What's my truth here and now, where am I at? And just kind of honoring that, but definitely looking at the past and dealing with the reality of it, of how I got that put on me in the first place.
4: Mm -hmm.
1: Hmm. I love that. Yeah. I think to add to that, I would absolutely definitely share that experience with you, Veronica. I I also would bring in my people. I'd bring my tribe in, um, bring in my faith, my place of identity, and step into courage and vulnerability and sharing out loud, what is this narrative that I'm hearing? And opening up the floor for those who are safe that I love and trust to speak the truth of who I really am back into me.
3: Mm-hmm. I had, um, I'd like that too, I had a friend, that I. Uh, has taught me a lot that referenced one time in college, walking around campus, saying to herself, she noticed herself repeating out in her mind, um, I'm a big fat, ugly cow, I'm a big fat, ugly cow, I'm a big fat, ugly cow. She kept telling herself that and she had what she would describe kind of a spiritual experience where she just had that thought process interrupted in her mind and 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 the thought was, as long as I'm making stuff up about myself, why don't I make up that I'm the queen of beauty, splendor, and majesty? I remember that that term, beauty, splendor, and majesty. And she goes, if I was the queen of beauty, splendor, and majesty, how would I walk? And then she pulled her shoulders back and walked straight, kind of picked up the pace a little bit. Not, and it really taught me something because it wasn't fake it till you make it, which we say sometimes. It was, she taught me that she said, assume the position of the virtue you wish to have. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that. Assume the position of the virtue you wish to have. And so I've kind of, I've thought that for myself, if there's a harmful narrative that keeps getting recycled, if, as long as I'm making something up, what would I want to make up? And I have had little moments where that's been a helpful way to interrupt this cycle of the cycle of the negative thinking. It hasn't been a cure-all or magic pill, but it's certainly been beneficial
4: good stuff all right i'm going to keep powering through these questions we've got just a few more i think we'll have time to get to at least on this this panel but um how do i talk about this is a big one how do i talk about therapy to my family when our family doesn't do emotions (laughs) (laughs) it's an easy one any of you guys grab no okay
2: I'm like, coming from a family that doesn't do emotions, literally, it's like, ugh. I'll, I'll go for, yeah, um please. Honestly, for me, my family doesn't do emotions. Uh, in fact, we it's really frowned down upon um, to even talk through or experience it's considered weak or um, whatever. But um, I think for me, therapy was that sacred space for me. Um, so that was my space to to talk through the things that I needed to that felt true to me like I am an emotional person I do have these feelings Mm -hmm. and I needed that um, that space to be able to share that openly so I feel like instead of talk looking to try to talk to my family about my therapy sessions it was more of I honored my therapy sessions because they were my sacred space to be able to work through that and then with that I'm doing when I'm focused on my work I'm able to soften I'm able to kind of change my perspective and kind of approach my family in a different manner. So just me tuning into my process and being just connected to that and honoring that and creating that space for me allowed me to kind of show up differently in my family. So that was the kind of conversation without having a conversation.
4: Mm -hmm. Wow. Well said. Thank
2: you. Yeah, I've had a little bit of a different experience. I
1: think on one hand, not just with my family, but um, with some of my friends who, who, you know, they're, they're not necessarily my close people, but they're still my, my friends. Um, I had to let my actions and my changed behavior do the talking for me for a while. It wasn't to show them anything or to prove anything. I was just being me in, in, my, in my wholeness and my wellness and walking forward in a different manner. And particularly like with my dad, we talk about this all the time. He does not do emotions, but when I approach the conversation with him as me seeking his support from a humble, just a humble daughter and inviting him into the conversation instead of demanding him to talk to me about it. Mm. It, it, the approach has always, it's helped a lot just being softer and more gentle of an invitation instead of a demand. I
3: like that. I appreciate you pulling in your own, uh, both of you guys referenced your own families. I, I, Um, The only thing I think I would add to that is that you don't have to (laughs) um, kind of the line of what does this person earn the right to know? And for some people, maybe it's worth trying to explain to them what you're getting out of it, why it's helpful to you. And so some it might, it's not a safe person or there's lacking trust there, then less is more, you know, and let them just see watch, watch you and be in, in relationship with you. Does not have to center around therapy? Good stuff.
4: Mm-hmm. All right. How do I help my friends and family who are struggling with mental health?
1: I think from a practical standpoint, it can be helpful when, of course, when you're approaching your family member out of love with absolutely no judgment and in no way, shape, or form condemning them, but just loving them, um, being aware of your tone of voice, being as gentle as you can be, but having resources that you can have in place right then and there. So they can say, Hey, here's some options. So that they don't feel overwhelmed with having to go to Google back to what you said, Miles, and trying to figure it out for themselves because that can almost put them in more of a tailspin. So I always suggest when someone wants to help a family member doing some research on on your own first and having some suggestions and ideas that, that you can present to help them create a plan alongside of them so it's not just them doing it by themselves.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was basically going to say the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. For me, I think it's just normalizing it. I think a lot of my... Family in general, like I said, don't do emotions, don't do feelings. And so I think a lot of things with this uh, past year has started up a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings, a lot of unresolved whatever. And I think for me, it's just normalizing that. And it's just, I get that. I hear you, I see you. And, and I think it is having those resources. If you need anything, I'm here for it. And just, yeah, being present, being present for people and just not shying away from that conversation. And making it okay to have that conversation and just whatever we need to do, mm-hmm. I'm here with you and we can, here's some resources. We can look at some stuff together. So.
4: I would build on what Veronica said there. What you said is just don't lean in. Don't be scared to have the conversation. The momentum is on our side. People are talking about mental health right now, which I was sharing in the beginning, which is amazing. you think about when you're stuck, when you know someone who's stuck or struggling in mental health, it's kind of like they're in a house with no doors And it's full of windows, but they're all those double-pane windows where they can see out, but nobody else can see in. And what they don't need is a a clear window where you can look in on them. They need a door. And so think about yourself as how do I open the door uh, and then make the door wider for them to be able to potentially share a part of what's going on inside them. And the best way to do that I've seen is just finding a way to put yourself in their shoes identifying with struggle if you can't identify with being let's just assume it's depression anxiety addiction if you can't identify with that then uh what about the symptoms uh around that might you be able to identify with don't try to put overly put yourself and say this you know i know your experience because that ends up working in reverse but instead of saying can we talk You know, it's often like, whew, you know, when somebody does that to me, I was like, what did I do wrong? Could you say, um, you know, I want to share something I've been experiencing and I want to start with me. You know, there's, I want to tell you about a time when I felt stuck in my story. And uh, if you can start there, that's usually a way of opening the door and making it safe for somebody else to be like, oh, wow. Okay. You're not just telling me what I need to do to fix this. You're actually being vulnerable with your own story. And then again, that's assuming that the mental health that you're asking about is not critical in nature. If it is critical in nature, then it's kind of any means necessarily. You know, if, if someone is uh, in threat to harm themselves or somebody else, uh, then, then you would you would typically call somebody, you'd intervene right away. And there's no, there's no perfect way to do that. That's when you just lean in, try to get that person some support right away. But if there's just something you're seeing that you want to start a conversation with, I would advise a lot of what was already shared. All right. How... Well, I know when I'm healed. <laughs> Go ahead, Veronica. You got this. Like,
2: like you tell me. Like, I, I don't know, panel. Like,
3: what was it like <laughs> when you arrived at full healing, Veronica?
2: Right. When I was fully healed and enlightened. Um, yeah. I don't like, uh, the word healed makes it feel, sound like it's a finished, it's a done deal. It's a finished product, right? And I never want to be, a, me personally, I never want to be a finished product. I want to continue to grow. And so for me, I would quite reframe that question as how will I know when I'm healing? And that's when I continue to see myself grow. Yeah, that's good. just where my brain goes. That's a finished product and I'm not a finished product. So she will continue healing.
3: I love that, just moving the, the E-D to I-N-G. Right. That's, that's good. Anything, Megan?
1: Basically, everything that Veronica said, um, my new wonderful, wonderful friend, And I know I'll never reach a place of full healing in my lifetime. And, but I know that I am on the road when I'm in a place of gratitude Mm -hmm. and acceptance and not seeking and grasping for external things, Mm -hmm. but being at peace internally. That's why I know that I'm on the road. I'm supposed to be on
4: growing. And I think that if, uh, if you're new to mental health or this conversation, or even if you're not, uh, what we're insinuating here is an incredibly hopeful and freeing message. I, I know it can seem overwhelming if you're thinking, well, why would I want to engage with a bunch of mental health people if they're telling me that I, I can't fix this problem? But I'll, I'm just going to. And I'm telling you that the freedom that comes, it's a little different if you think about traditional healthcare. You do hear terminology like when you break a bone, we're gonna heal it, we're gonna fix it. And as it relates to mental health, it's not so linear. It's like, well, a lot of times it gets visa. It's not a beginning and doing a start and stop. It's a, it's a circular motion. But once you get on that road that Megan talked about, it's incredibly fulfilling. And life gets a whole lot better when you live it through the lens of of grace, evolution, and ongoing, as Veronica said, healing. So I just I love that. Instead of uh, when am I healed? How am I healing? Yeah, love that. All right. What would you say are some tips for staying in a living centered mode? It can be, and I know that's kind of inside on-site speak. So I was trying to explain living centered, uh, but tips for staying centered, let's just call it that. And it's so easy when it's so easy to fall back into old patterns.
3: I think something Megan said earlier, she was referencing horses, but <clears throat> it's the first thing that comes to my mind when you ask that question is, I have to get connected to something bigger than me. And that looks like a lot of different things to different people. If it's church, spirituality, nature, something, but it, like she said, horse is bigger than you. Sometimes other people reference a group of people is bigger than them. You know, Whatever that thing is, it's just a reminder that I'm not as big or it's it's not all about me. <laughs> you know? Balance includes me. I'm in the picture, but there's a lot of things outside of me that are part of a bigger balance. And so I don't know how to do it without that connection to something bigger than, than myself.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah I agree with you Austin. Um if I'm trying to live my life from my place of center and my truth then I need to know where my truth comes from and not just who I am, but whose I am. That's very important for me. And then again, I like I just like practical things. I'm a little bit black and white in certain things. And I have tools and things I can do every day. I go back to my journals. It sounds weird, but I go back to journals from a year ago or 10 years ago or different seasons of my life. And I look at how am I living now in comparison to What was unraveling me then in those times? What, how have my prayers changed? How have I changed? And it's just good evidence for me seeing, am I on my path or have I veered off a little bit? Yeah, I
2: think, Megan, I like what you said with living in my truth. And for me, it's knowing what my truth is, is working on Mm -hmm. identifying what that truth is. Before I can start living it, I gotta have some (laughs) awareness around that, right? so it is that understand that there is something bigger than me, but then connecting with that and finding the ways that help me to connect with that more. Um, for me, it's a good old barefoot walk out and you know, putting my feet in grass and just walking in nature, taking brain breaks, five-minute brain breaks for myself, scheduling me time. Uh, it can be, oh man, there's various things, but it just leads from a place of I'm having, creating that space for myself to connect with what my truth is and get recentered. Whenever I'm, I'm start to feel off balance, and then also acknowledging what those I see the old patterns. It's like acknowledging what my old patterns are and how I used to. If I'm met with this situation where I'm feeling stress, and I used to maybe go drink to go handle that. What's something different that I can do now to change that? To change it from that hat that pattern from happening again, and just trying to constantly adapt and change and grow and identify, acknowledge, and to be able to continue to get back to that centered space. Mm-hmm.
4: Love that. Yeah. I would just expect the setbacks that are going to happen and, uh, be able to call deep on courage to do a lot of what Veronica was just saying, whatever that might be fit for, you know, fit for you. I could relate to some of those, but, uh, we've got through a whole lot of stuff. Hey, listen, if any of you listening, um, ask some of these questions, I hope you feel supported and I hope you hear that we see you, we, uh, we care about you, um, I hope we added some value, but understand that some of what we said, we hope it fits for you. And if it didn't, that's okay too. Uh, But we just appreciate you tagging along with us. We get to have these conversations all the time, both inside and outside of the work that we do, which is really cool, honestly. And it's quite fun to get to work in a place where we wade off into the deep end in our conversations quite frequently. But let's leave everybody with this. For those that are listening, Assuming that we're doing a, men, a, pa- a panel on mental health, I'm assuming you're, you're somewhat interested in mental health, either learning more about it, you're in recovery from it, uh, you're curious and feel like you could be supported through this knowledge. Whatever reason you might be joining us today, if we could go around as, as a way to close this, what would be a message that you would have for the person who has shown up today and been with us in this conversation?
1: Mine would be, if you are in a chapter of your life that is extremely difficult, keep moving forward, keep going, you can do it. It is not
2: the end of your story. Hmm. I think mine would be honor your feelings. Just honor your feelings. It's not about trying to hide and suppress and push through. This is not the time to push through. It's just honoring what feels real to you and getting in tune with that.
3: Yeah. Mine would be, I think a, a two-part message. One is that I really do believe people are doing, we're doing, you're doing better than you think you are. Maybe just leave it. it just, it's encouraging to me. The fact that they're even asking the question or are interested in exploring this, is proof of what I'm talking about Just just keep keep going
4: well said and I would close with uh that you are you are not a problem to be solved but you are a human uh, person to be engaged and I hope you felt engaged by this conversation thanks for joining us for this conversation if you want to hear more from OnSite, find us on social media at Onsite Workshops. You can also find me at Miles Adcox.
2: When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432
4: or visit onsiteworkshops.com.